0: Hey, that's right, we are in chapter 2, and once again, I baited you with it, but the topic is Bible Interpretation. We got some serious audience participation going on tonight, but uh, Bible Interpretation. How many guys would say that's an important thing to do? No. Praise God, Byron is active tonight. And you need to get up here on the front row, Byron. He's... Okay, but anyway, that's right. But uh, you can say that. that's cool. And uh, no, it's very important, okay? And uh, as we saw, the question that we started off with was, well, what does it mean to you? Now, as we saw last week, if you are here, that's one of the worst questions you could ever be asking. Okay, because really, we're the, the, the question we need to be asking is, what does God say to us? Not what does it mean to you? And then what does it mean to you? And then what it means to you? Because nine times out of 10, the people, if they don't do it correctly with Bible interpretation, they're gonna get something different. But God doesn't speak with fork and tongue. What does it mean? Uh, what did God mean when he said it to us? And what we saw is the whole idea is to kind of go in here with the detective mentality. The old CSI Bible style is how we need to approach the scripture. This is very serious business. And that's what we saw with the analogy uh, with uh, John's truck. If John wrote a letter 2,000 years ago about his truck, he's really had it that long. Do You think... Okay, whatever. It's a great one. I won't even get into the which one's better, Dodge Ford. That whole argument. And uh, Ford, really. And this is how church splits happen. But anyway, let's continue on. Uh, no. So he's had this truck for a while. He wrote this uh, letter to his friend about his truck, his man truck. Okay. And when he wrote that letter, all he was talking about was it's a truck. Okay. It's got some cool wheels. It's happening, man. Look at that. You guys like my artistry? Yeah. What? And there's John too, and he's smiling. Woohoo! Yeah. Forget his nose. But anyway, so that's right. And so he's all excited and happy with his man truck. And, but again, it fell into a crack. Somebody found that letter 2,000 years later. And so they give it to three different experts. And they read that letter. And they came up with three different meanings as to what John meant by man truck. Now, when John wrote the letter, he only meant one meaning. It's a truck. That's it. You know? And, and th- believe it or not, that's how people unfortunately approach the Bible. They act like it's something so super difficult that only those with some super duper degree can understand. And that's not true, okay? It's just a lot of common sense things as we're going to begin to continue to break down. Now, why is it important? It's kind of where we left off last time. Well, because if you get it wrong, okay, this isn't just like, oh, I'm sorry, you just had a bad piece of chicken. Now, isn't that an oxymoron? A redundant statement. Byron, get up here. I'm serious. You're awesome. I need you. And, uh, but uh, anyway, so, but it's like, no, if you get this wrong. Okay, where do you think false teaching comes from? Right? Does false teaching have an effect on people? Are there cults out there that say, oh, no, we base our beliefs on the Bible? Right? But when they got the wrong Jesus, that means that people aren't going to heaven. Where are they going? Okay, that's serious stuff. And it all has to do with how do you approach the scripture, Bible interpretation. This is where not only false teaching, but the people that promote it are as false teachers. Are there false teachers in the church today? Yeah, this is why, as we saw, we ended up with so many different denominations, okay, in the world today. We've got the, the church of the robes and the church of the no robes. The church of the blue carpet, the church of the red carpet. You know, usually secondary issues, okay? And, and why is the church split up the way it is in so many different factions? Because people approach the Bible, unfortunately, inconsistently. And they come with this. And these second, you know, it's just it's crazy. It's very important. And why is there so much sin in the church today? Bible interpretation. We're gonna get into that a little bit more. So, well, that's what that's what you think, or that's your interpretation. Remember that from last time? Or or well that was good for then, you know, that culture. But today it means No, it means the same thing, okay? Just because it's been 2,000 years, it's still the same thing. God has not changed his mind on that particular thing, okay? Now, we get into the issue of this down towards about mm, two-thirds way down in the middle of that uh, third paragraph, fourth paragraph. It says this, we must approach the Bible text like a crime scene investigator looking for clues. Going in with preconceived ideas about what we will find will tend to cloud the evidence, or even worse, it could possibly allow us to totally miss some evidence altogether. And again, That's where sin comes from. That's where apostasy comes from. False teaching, false teachers. Okay, serious stuff. We need to take this serious like a crime scene. Pay attention to what's going on here. you got to get this right. Okay, because eternity is on the line. A strong, vital, awesome walk with Jesus Christ is on the line. Okay, this is serious stuff. Okay, and he says this. As you approach the text, take a reality check and ask yourself these questions. Number one, did I eat chicken? (laughs) Now that I have your question, let's look at the real one. It's this, am I willing to lay aside, listen, my denominational or preconceived, is your big word there for the first blank, preconceived theological filter in such a way that if the evidence of the text, i.e. the Bible says something contrary to what I was taught even by my denomination or my preconceived beliefs, okay, or what I was taught, Okay, even if that happens, against my interpretation, I will yield to the clear teaching of the Word of God. You catch that? So if I'm approaching the Word of God, I get, I do a reality check. Am I just in there just to verify what I want it to say or what I think it should say or what people have always told me to say, so therefore it must be true. I'm not saying don't doubt in your instructors and go out there and, and question everything, whatever. But, but if, you, if you're honest and you're approaching the Scripture and all of a sudden you go, whoa, wait a second. That's not what my denomination teaches. That's, and dare I say this? That's not what my pastor's been teaching. Right? I'm not saying be nasty and disrespectful, you know, and I'll get to that, and how, how do you handle situations like that? Because I have had to go through that. Okay? okay, you need to be respectful to the authority over you, but that doesn't mean you've got to sit there. Okay, maybe it's God's clue that you need to move on. Okay, let me give you some examples. Okay, denominational preconceived theological filter, if it disagrees with, okay? I've had to do that a couple different times. Okay? When I first got saved, okay, Man, coming out of my background, if you guys know my background, obviously, uh, 1980s ex-headbanger, drug addict, sex more male chauvinist, pig guy involved in the cold. I hated God. I hated Christianity. I thought I was God involved in the new age. Probably was multiply possessed and it was horrid. It was dark as whatever, but I was a blasphemer of God. I'd be the first one to say the Bible was a book whooped up full of errors and a bunch of intellectual uh, idiots had to have this tell them what to do. I was much more smarter than that. And that was me. That was my background. So then coming out of that egregious, horrible sin and blasphemous behavior... Okay, it wasn't just the sinning part, but it was another sin of being a blasphemer of God. Okay, when I got saved, I was like, praise God for eternal security, right? Praise God for the cross of Jesus Christ. Praise God when he said, it is finished, it is finished. Praise God that his blood has the ability and the power to forgive us of every single sin we've ever done, past, present, future. Woo! Right? When I first got saved, that was common sense. Right? Common sense. Now, as I began to do internships, I began to go to different denominations, as the Lord would have it. And I look back and I see kind of his wisdom in that. You got to see what's going on out there, okay, in the church. And sometimes we get our own little bubble, okay. Uh, Dare I say that uh, probably most of you here at Sunrise have been uh, spoiled, okay, under a a good denomination, under good uh, teaching, okay. And you kind of think, well, this is the way it always is for everybody, Mm-mm. there's all kinds of messed up stuff out there. Anyway, so I got into this one teaching, authority over me, okay? And they began to teach, uh, you can lose your salvation. And it threw me for a loop. Because here I am, I'm you know, about a year old as Christian. I'm very appreciative of eternal security of the complete forgiveness of Christ. And yet my authority figures above me are saying, no, and they start whooping out scriptures and the classic ones with Hebrews 6 and Hebrews 10, which is not dealing with uh, Christians. And if we had time to get in that, I would. I think we've dealt with that before in previous studies. Okay, and other passages, you know, in Paul, he said he's going to be disqualified. He wasn't talking about salvation. He's talking about his ministry. That's why he beat his body black and blue and, and just on and on and on. But I didn't know, right? And it started to get me to questions. It's like, whoa, wait, what's going on? Well, maybe you can lose. And you start getting afraid and freaked out. It's like, cause have you guys noticed that even after you got saved, you've probably blown it at least maybe once? Those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. It's called lying. Add it to the list. Okay. Okay. Oh. And so what did I do? Well, first of all, the nail in the coffin for me actually was was that first year of Greek in Bible college. You talk about nailing. I mean, it's so explicit. It's just, it's a one-time forever event with complete completion. There's no reversal of it, okay? But you don't even have to go into the Greek. As I began to go back into the scripture, remember what's the point? Are you approaching the scripture and being prepared with any preconceived ideas that, listen, the Bible comes first, the Bible comes first over man and man's institution. The Bible comes first. I'm not saying to get some skeptical attitude, okay, but I'm telling you, sometimes it's going to happen and that happened with me. And so I began to search. Oh God, you know, wh- what is it? Can I lose it? Am I going to do something, whatever? And, at, and, and let me just give you an example. We've talked about this before. I don't think you even need to know Greek uh, to take, once you just get into the Bible, there's no stinking way that you can lose your salvation. Okay, now let me just give you some common sense before I read even one verse, okay? Let's be honest, guys. If even, not even 1%, 0.0001% of our salvation was based upon our behavior, how many of us would ever get to heaven? We'd all be burning in hell, myself included, right? So here's the logical thing. It better be 100% or this whole thing is a pipe dream. It's make-believe. So it'd either be, it'd either be a nothing or a all or nothing, right? Now that's just common sense logic if we're honest with our sinful behavior. Okay, because people would say well, you can lose your salvation. Okay, name the behavior. And so are you going to be God? And you're going to define what that is? Are you going to go up there which I don't recommend crawl upon the cross so to speak and slap Jesus in the face and say well it wasn't good enough for this one. Because in essence, that's really what you're saying. People would say that you can lose your salvation. It's really the flip side of the same coin. They would say, oh no, they, oh we, we don't think that you can work for your salvation. But flip the coin over, you're saying I can work myself out of it. Isn't that the same side of the same coin? You know whatever. So start to look at logic, but scripture, let me just read you a couple passages. John 5:24 I tell you the truth whoever hears my word Jesus speaking and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned he's crossed over from death to life. John 6:37 All that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. John 10:28 I give them eternal life and they shall never perish no one can snatch them out of my hand. Does that include us? Yeah, Romans 8 35 38 through 39 who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword I'm convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons neither the present nor the future nor any powers neither height nor depth Nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord Does that include us? Nothing means nothing nothing's going to separate us once where our lives are hidden in Christ First Corinthians one eight. he God will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blessed on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 1, 21-22 Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He, God, anointed us, set His seal of ownership, we belong to Him and put His Spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Ephesians 1:14, The Spirit of God is God's guarantee that He will give us everything He promised and that He has purchased us to be His own people. This is just one more reason for us to praise our glorious God because we know that there's, there's a big question Mark there, we, we were gonna praise God because we're afraid of losing it. No, it's crazy, folks. Philippians 1:6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to, to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 4:18. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Who's doing the work here? Whose salvation is it? Right? What can take us out of his hand? Is anybody glad? Yeah, and that's still not all. Uh, He says this. He says, Hebrews 7, 25. Therefore he, Jesus, is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Hebrews 9, 12. He, Jesus, did not enter by means of blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. Hebrews 9, 15. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance and 1 Peter 1 3-4 says he has given us new birth into a living hope into an inheritance what? that can never perish never spoil never fade listen it's kept in heaven from you it's in heaven who's going to go up there crawl up to heaven and rip it out of God's hand and that's why John says this 1 John 5-13 I write these things to you it's right here I write these things to you. Why? So that you may believe in the name of the Son of God. So that you may know that you have eternal life. Yay! That's what the Bible says. Okay? Now listen. That's easier said than done. Because that's pretty much the core of this church. Right? That's, that's what the denomination teaches. That's what you... I'm telling you there's people out there freaked out. Because that's not what they're being taught. So how could somebody come to... And that's not all of them guys. How could somebody come to that? How could somebody dare I say denigrate the cross of Jesus Christ and say it was not sufficient and it was not finished that we have to do it on our own, complete the job? Bible interpretation. Context, context, context. You're ripping these things out of context. Context. And, and and you have this idea in your brain that you can, so what you do is you go to the scripture and allow it, as we saw exegesis last time, let the Bible speak out to you. No, you go in there and you rip verses out and make them agree to what you want it to say. It happens all the time. And that's why I love his question. Okay, listen, us, even us here, when we approach the scripture, are we willing to sit, lay down? Okay, you know, everybody talks, well, you need to have an open mind. You've got to have an open mind, right? You know, sometimes if you have an open mind too long, you wonder if the brains don't fall out. With all due respect, you know, you've got, some, you've got to have some sort of filter. going. Okay, but in all seriousness, when it comes to the Bible, yeah, you do need to have an open mind. In, in this sense, if I come across something, and I'm, do, I'm doing CSI on this baby, I'm not going in there with my preconceived ideas, but if I go in there, and my instructor is saying, I can lose my salvation, but I'm whipping out verse after verse after verse after verse after verse after verse, after verse, after verse says, no, you cannot. Bible goes first. Right? Bible has to come first. Okay? I'm telling you, that's how we need to approach the scripture because it's going to happen. Okay? If it hasn't already happened uh, to you. Okay? Let let me give you another uh, example. And I want to give you this because I want to see how you handle this. Okay? I was sat under another uh, internship authority over me. Pastor. And, uh, Doing cool for a while, and then all of a sudden, I don't know how it's not, well, I kind of know how it was. My guess is it was certain people showed up at the church and had this particular bent on this doctrine, that false teaching, and started getting the ear of the pastor. All right, and it was the word of faith stuff that we just got done preaching on here a couple Sundays ago, right. And it was, you know, the name it and claim it and the blab it and grab it and we're guaranteed to have, you know, all kinds of cash and Cadillac and all money. And it was just, it was just like, ah, and I actually respectfully would go and you know, pastor, I just, man, I just, you know, be careful. This guy, you know, can I give documentation, whatever? It just, It just wasn't going anywhere. It just seemed like all of a sudden the other it was getting the better of the ear and whatever. And so, you know what I did? I stuck around there and I divided that church right in two and I made a big stink and I, I, I made, I, behind the scenes, I mocked the pastor. I talked a smack about him. I told people how wrong. No. Quietly and quickly left. He's my authority. I respect the position of the authority. Okay? I'll let God deal with that. I'm not the pastor of this church. God will deal with it. Okay? I learned many years later. I think he finally found out. But it was not my place to be an agent of destruction in the church. I wasn't the shepherd of that church. And I left. My wife and I. We just had to go. And God led us to something else. Okay? Okay? It's going to happen. Why? Because the Bible came first. There was no way in the world I could bend to that teaching. If it's in here, that's fine. But there's no stinking way that I can see how you can justify that you are guaranteed to drive a Cadillac and wear Armani suits if you just have enough faith and have perfect healing and perfect health and perfect wealth. Can't do it, right? So again, there's some times when you need to, uh, as he's talking about, can can you deal with that? Is that really how you're approaching the scripture? But if you do it, what do you do? Uh, make things worse? No. You need to, again, uh, biblically. David, when he w- had to sit under uh, Saul, what did he do? Respected him. Saul wasn't right, was he? No. He had the position, so what did David do? David proved his leadership ability, David proved his skill, David proved what kind of a leader he was by what? Yeah, it was, it was a good time. Okay. He was, a, he was, even though he could have, and even though the people around him was egging him on, get him, get him, get him, kill him. He's right in the cave. You can get him. You can finally, aren't you sick and tired of being on the run? Get him. And he, and he just for a little bit touched the hem of his garment and God convicted him. No, I'll take care of it in my time, right? Let's go to the next one. Here's what it says. Number two, he says, am I willing to listen? This is a big one today. Not only preconceived ideas, denominational ideas, when I approach the scripture, proper biblical interpretation, am I willing to lay aside my cultural filter, man, this is big today in the church, cultural filter in such a way that if the evidence of the text weighs against the popularly held view, okay, I will yield to the clear teaching of the word of God, right? Right? Can I give you a couple cultural issues that people are sliding on in the church today? Can anybody guess what the first one is? All right. Homosexuality, right? Okay. Anybody recently that unfortunately prepares chicken food for people to eat? Uh, get in a ruckus over that issue? You know what I'm talking about. I don't even, you're just making me say it, aren't you? Chick-fil-A. It's on video too. That's wrong. Right? Taking the stance. Paying the heat for it. And every single born again Christian. And every single church in America. Absolutely agreed with them. That's what it killed. How, how, how can you do that? Old Testament news. How do you get around that? Can I tell you why? You know what people say? Well that's your interpretation. Well you know that was back then. God was harsher back in that reality. But today we're more understanding. Or yeah, God said that's a choice, i.e. a sin, because sin is a choice, did you know? And, 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 but, but, but you see, we have science today, and we know that what that is, is that's an issue that people are born with. Are people born thieves? You choose to go down that route. In fact, you know, once you start going down that route, as if it's an initial temptation, then you might become a bigger thief, and a worse thief, and begin to rationalize why you have to be a thief, and you, know? you see what I'm saying? okay. Now, with that caveat, I think the American church has done uh, a disjustice on how to handle this issue. Because we have made this the sin issue. Well, that's not how you approach it. I've got to deal with family members and, and friends who are involved in this stuff. So every time that uh, we have a discussion, man, I'm sure I bring that up. No, not necessarily. Because it's not a sin issue. It's a sin issue. And usually when I'm witnessing to folks, okay, I don't even have to bring this issue up. It's not because I'm trying to skirt it. It's because it's become such a cultural hot topic that the moment you even start to go down that route, they shut you off. And that's not what they need, okay? When a person becomes born again, and I got other friends who used to be involved in that, as soon as they get born again, guess what? They immediately, even though they were a big proponent just before that, what do they say? It's wrong. Because the spirit of God is inside them now, and he starts to clean them from the inside out, right? Right? So you don't have to hit it head on. I just It's a sin issue and I say this, hey listen, li- whoa, you're getting sidetracked on this. Have you ever told a lie? Yeah? You ever taken something without permission? Stealing? You ever worship anything besides God? You know, an idol? You ever use the Lord's name in vain? I'm using the Ten Commandments right, to show them what the Bible says. We've all sinned. It's not that sin, it's sin. Right? And so if you're sharing with somebody like that, please, don't go the other end uh, of the spectrum and make matters worse. And I think that's why, unfortunately, it's starting to blow up in the church's face, okay, is because we're handling it wrong. Right? I'm not saying go the other way, and, uh, like the, the way the culture, well, I guess it's acceptable because, it, no. But then don't make it worse and become the big, you see where I'm going with this? All right. How do you come to that agreement? How could, as we saw, and I really think it's more than this, but this is an old stat. How is it that 33% of the people professing to be Christians in the church say it's okay? Bible interpretation. How do you approach this? No matter what you think, what you do, okay, if it says, ooh, that's sin, what are you going to do? Check your heart. Do a reality check. God, that's a sin. I'm sorry. Would you please forgive me? Would you please help me? Would you, you see what I'm saying? Is that how we approach scripture? See, that's an easy one. That's a big one. Let's, let's, let's see if we can't get some meddling going on. Okay? The spirit of Scooby-Doo is all over me. Remember that cartoon? Remember that? How we would have made it for, for those meddling kids. Right? Pastors can meddle sometimes. You know that? Uh, how about this one? How about, uh, here's, a, here's, a, here's a good Christianese word. Uh, fornication. This is a cultural one today, right? That is basically any kind of sex outside of marriage. But it even goes even more. Porneia in the Greek there. It's not just pornography and that issues. It's anything. And it, which would involve even going down like bestiality. Orgies and things. that It's just anything of that nature. Uh, and even outside of marriage. And of course some of that sin isn't even appropriate for in marriage. But you know what I'm saying. Right? Well you know God knows that we love each other. It's okay in his eyes. I mean in his eyes. I mean, listen it's just a ring it's just a piece of paper and you know don't you know that it was some Roman culture back then and it's, it's like what you know God in his eyes it's no it's not the Bible says don't do it well, I alright mean, let's take it a little step further this one's really crazy in the church today how about here's the code word cohabitation right and that's when you store animals on your property right no <laughs> kind of sounds like it no, it means you're basically living together. You know, hey, no, wait a second, Ruth. God knows our heart. He, he knows that we wouldn't do anything. Well, hey, the Bible says flee from temptation, not flirt with it. The Bible says avoid all appearances of evil. I'm not saying you do anything, okay? But you don't want to put yourself in a position to become this. Hey, did you see brothers all those sisters? You don't even want to go there. Why even uh, give the impression of that? Why even go that route? Why why flirt with it? Why why mess with it? Jesus, we've talked about this before. Jesus, the woman at the well. Well, "Well, that's your interpretation, Pastor Billy. Don't you know the... No, what's the Bible say, John 4? The woman at the well. Right? Jesus called her on the carpet. He said, hey, go call your husband. He knew what she say. Right? I don't have a husband. He says, yeah, you're right. You've had, what, four or five husbands? And the man you're with now is not your husband. So she was living with somebody. Answer the question, guys. Proper biblical interpretation. Was Jesus saying, that's a great lifestyle? Was Jesus saying, it's okay. In my eyes, I know you love each other. No. Did he call her on the carpet for her sin? Why? Because he loved her. Why? Because every single passage in this Bible is for our good. Not bad, and if God, whether the culture likes it or not, whether it's convenient or not, okay, He says, "Don't do it." When we approach the Scripture, that's why I love even breaking. Do a reality check. We see we can say that for the big ones, but when you start going down into these little areas that we say, "Oh, that's a gray area," no. Are you prepared to do that, God? Wow, we're in sin. We need to fix this, right? That's what he's talking about there. Okay, let me, I'll touch another hot topic, okay? And again, you might seem kind of weird here, but that's right. We all know that men have become these lazy slobs. Haven't you watched the Simpsons? They've turned into Homer Simpsons. And, and yet we've got to have strong leadership in the church, and therefore in these last days, God has raised up women pastors. Ooh, he's really going to meddle now. <laughs> nope. Men have always been called to lead the church. Even in the Old Testament, the men were the leaders. It's always been male leadership. Well, you guys are being sexist. No. Okay? Men and women, how many of you guys have noticed this? We're a little bit different. (laughs) It's shocking, isn't it? Big shock. Okay? Yeah. Okay? We're different because we're different by God's design. We fulfill different functions, but can I tell you something? Both functions are equally important, but they're just different, right? It's like peanut butter and jelly. You could have just a jelly sandwich. You could have a peanut butter. Water. (laughs) But if you put them both together, hey, it slides down pretty good and tastes great, doesn't it? And so when you see how God has designed. He's got different roles for women. And that's important. He's got different roles for men. Just leave it alone. It's like peanut butter and jelly. Works awesome. But no. Because what? The cultural influence of feminism. Has come in and says no. The women need to be more like the men. The men need to be more like the women. And what they're trying to create. Is what's called a unisex. Or the term that they use today. Is called a metrosexual. They're trying to make us into this just one little conglomeration of one and things are getting messed up. Marriages are getting messed up, kids are messed up, uh, relationships are messed up, uh, it, everything's messed up. And, and I, well, this is a whole nother conspiracy topic or whatever but if you wanna take over the country, you know one of the things that you go for? This is actually a tactic okay, that the communists have used. I don't know if we've talked about this before. Okay, what you do is you go for the family. Because if you destroy the family, the nation is sure to go. Is, is families in America struggling? Right? Big time. Okay? And, and, and uh, I'll just give you one example. And this was from a lady who wrote this book uh, from Canada. And I got the actual audio recording. She shared this. I go, wow, what an absolute mind-blowing. I had no idea. And she shared in her research. And she wrote the book for her sons. Because she wanted her sons to know what was, uh, how to treat ladies. Biblically, properly. Okay, ladies uh, oftentimes will come to me and they'll say, Pastor Billy, where's all the knights in shining armor? Where, where's all the guys, you know, that'll bring you flowers and treat you this? And take you? I says, well, hey, listen, do you, do you make them open the door for you? Well, no. <laughs> said, Well, you got to train them. I'm not kidding you. I, I've said this before. I'm actually already, already working with my daughter, Rebecca. We've already had the discussions. And I, I love these little teaching moments that God gives us. Okay, and I go to open the door for her. I, I, the male. If she's with me, I open the door for her. Why? Because the guy that I've been praying for better look like what I've been praying for. (laughs) Or he's out of there. I don't care, man. So I'm I'm gonna borrow some camo uh, gear from you, and uh, (laughs) maybe a couple weapons. You know, that comes over and paint my eyeballs. I'm gonna look real freaky when he comes over. So, but uh, no. But I'm training her what to look for in a man. And I want a man who's a godly man. As soon as our kids were born, or we, uh, in conception, before they were even born, begin began to pray for the salvation. As soon as they got uh, both of my kids, uh, uh, by the grace of God, got saved, immediately began praying uh, that if they should ever get married, begin to pray for their future spouses. And still to this day, uh, every single day, virtually praying for that. And so I got a picture of what I have in mind. So, but I have to train her. I have to train my son how to treat women, okay? Uh, Because we don't know today. We were in a third uh, pagan generation, okay? And so I teach her that the the man is to open the car door for you. And she's starting to get to the point where she will actually hesitate until the man comes over and gets the door. Yes. When we go into an eating establishment, okay? You guys ever kind of spice up your stuff? Maybe your finances a little bit low? Have you ever eaten at that uh, fine... Scottish restaurant, McDonald's, (laughs) huh? That's some fancy eating there, you know what I'm saying? It's McCool, you know what I'm saying? Or you go to that uh, French restaurant you really want to take your wife out, Danae's, (laughs) huh? Sounds good, doesn't it? Yeah, whatever. So when we're at these fine eating establishments, uh, guess who opens the door? The man opens the door, okay? Uh, uh, Guess who, and of course she's a little bit young but still Uh, Guess who's shelling out the cash in their pocket for what needs to be taken care of? The meal or the ice cream or whatever. The man. But ladies, what have you been tricked and snookered by feminists to do? Oh, get out of here. What do you think I am? Some sort of a wimp? I can get my own door. I can buy my own food. What do you think I am? (laughs) Usually the guy starts running. Okay. Right? It's peanut butter and jelly. Can I tell you a little secret, ladies? Men... Will treat you oftentimes, oftentimes, not every time, the way that you demand to be treated. I'll just give this and I gotta move on. Man, we're not getting anywhere tonight. Uh, uh, is Brandy, when I first met her in Bible college, right? And uh, finally got enough nerve up to uh, walk her to the car after the uh, class, right? And I walked her to her car and she was over here on the driver's side, windows were down. And I looked into the deal and I says, Hey, uh, uh, can, can I give you my number? And she looked at me and she goes, No. okay, brush my teeth. Come on, (laughs) I think I didn't eat broccoli. And uh, she says, but if you would like to take mine and call me, you can. What does she do? From the very get-go, she set the bar. No, I'm not gonna grow up, no. The Bible says that women, this is a whole biblical interpretation, women are weaker vessels. (laughs) Ha, 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 man, weaker. Really what the word is, that's going on there in the Greek. It's a uh, misunderstanding. It's precious. Women are more precious, more delicate. Okay? Men, have you noticed that there's a different emotional makeup with your ladies? Just go like this. Don't smile too big or you're in trouble on the way home. Okay? Trust me. (laughs) Trust me. So, (laughs) yeah. Okay. So when it comes to the emotions, right, they're more precious. They're more delicate. They're easily, like that, right? Okay. Brandy and I, when we first got our first kid, Sammy, my wiener dog, he was my first son, Ron. I, I still, she resists. But, and uh, so we, I learned this. And uh, she has a more delicate, precious, emotional makeup than me. Right? Guys, you know, the earth's blown up. And we're cool. All right. It's, you know, that's all right. And uh, so our first son, I picked her up. Uh, and uh, she, I got to our, our, we had a little trailer. And I was, uh, got out of the car first. and I was getting ready to unlock the door. And so I'm sitting here. And, and uh, all of a sudden I hear, Like that. And when she had got out of the door, Sammy had tried jumping to our little wiener dog. And uh, she closed his head, smashed it right in the door. And he's on the ground. So I'm sitting there. I'm just a guy, right? I think I have three emotions in me. And so I'm doing the, I go, I look at that thing. And then Sammy's on the ground and he's going, right? And Brandy's going, running down the cul-de-sac. She thought she killed him, right? And so I'm kidding you not. I'm sitting there and my brain's just going, because we're, men are plotters, right? We're planners. You know, we like to plan stuff. We like to fix things. We're good in crises uh, sometimes. And so I'm sitting there, I'm going, okay, dog, he's twitching. Looks like he's going to be okay. Go get wife. So she doesn't hurt herself. So go to get wife. She comes over and Sam's okay. Whatever. But it taught me a powerful lesson. Men and women are different, but that's okay. Okay? You leave it alone. She's more precious, okay? Uh, 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 On the the positive side, the fact that I wasn't as emotional was good in a time of crisis, wasn't it? right? And, and, and so as men, the Bible says, husbands, understand your wives, right? And, and when you read that verse, biblical interpretation, every time you read that, men, doesn't that theme to Mission Impossible go through your brain? Again, just don't smile too big. Or you're gonna be, no. And one thing you have to understand is they're more precious. They're more delicate, okay? God has wired us as men, leaders, to take the hits of life. Then when a time of crisis, men are to rise up and be the man and take charge of the situation and lead the people to safety, right? Men are called to be that. Why? Because we're being sexist. No, because women in general don't really react that well typically when stuff like that happens. Now on the positive side, when it comes to raising a family and the nurturing aspects needed in, in the family, in the bonding unit, women got that all, all over the place. You know what, guys? How many guys? You got your newborn kid. You love your child, right? Okay. And the moms are there, going, mm, 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 kissing the baby. Mm, here's their first diaper, and oh, and then they go, "Here you go." And what do you do? <laughs> right? You don't know what to do. Okay. And so, but guess what? Okay, so maybe, you know, in that aspect, we're not the best for nurturing emotionally, but guess what? She's there to pick up the slack, so to speak, right? Peanut butter and jelly. Men, in times of crises, we are, we've got the emotional makeup that we can handle it, but women, when it comes to the emotional makeup, typically, they can't handle it, so we need to come alongside. Husband, understand your wives, that they're more precious, they're more delicate, okay? God has not wired them like us. There's positive benefits in other aspects, so it doesn't mean it's just a complete negative. It's just you fit together like it, it, your differences are meant to complement, not conflict. Just do it God's way. Don't mess with it. It'll be okay, okay, is what he's talking about. They're more precious. I'll give you one more analogy. It's like, man, uh, God has wired us, if you will, like a, a, a. you go to Taco Bell and you get that expando turbo size meal and you get that giant plastic cup, right? Okay, if it fell over on the ground, what happens to the cup? No big deal, right? Just bounces back, whatever, and get a refill, okay? But if it was a fine china goblet, how do you handle that thing? Very precious, very delicate. Because it's, it's, it's weaker, it's inept. No, it's actually more precious. And it needs to be handled with care, right? Very valuable. That's what the Bible says about men and women. Don't mess with it. And so when it comes to this cultural issue, are you going to listen to feminism? Or are you going to say, well, God, you you don't know this yet. You haven't studied the scripture yet. What it really means by precious. All you hear is this stuff about feminism and women and this and uh, uh, right and men are being tyrants and whatever. You, You haven't got here yet, but you come across the Bible and that's not what the Bible's saying. What do you do? Do you bend to the culture? Or do you say, you know what, God, I mean, I have all the answers right now. And all my friends, all my influences, the school, the media is telling me something contrary but I'm sticking to your word. Is that how we approach the Bible? I'm telling you, this is, this is serious stuff because you, you slide one time. You slide one time and you are headed into sin. You keep sliding, you keep pushing it, you're going into false teaching. And if you, it becomes your pet peeve doctrine, your secondary issue that you've got to cram into every conversation because you know what's right, you become a false teacher. I'm convinced, I don't think that every false teacher or somebody who continues to propagate false teaching wakes up one day as a Christian and goes, "Ah, today, I am going to become a false teacher. How's that happen? One slip. One compromise. I know it's what it says, but I think it says this. And that's what he says, and we'll say this in closing. We didn't get too far, but praise God. He says, to be honest, uh, it is, is the whole key, isn't it? Unless we are willing to do these two things, our desire is not to know what God's word has to say in our human condition, but to listen, dictate to God how we think things ought to be. Right? Flip over to Genesis chapter 3 and we'll close with this. This is what's going on. This is the same lie that started the fall of man. Genesis chapter 3. Verse 1. Do you find the glossary? What do you do? Hang on. Hang says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say? Now isn't that the question? I mean, you just read it. You just read that. I mean, come on. It's so clear in the scripture. Uh, Homosexuality's wrong. Fornication's wrong. Cohabitation's wrong. Jesus called the woman out on the carpet. That's just one passage, okay? Uh, Pastors, women pastors, stuff like that. He said, I don't care what you want to cop on men. And yeah, there are some men that unfortunately become lazy slobs with all due respect. Okay, I'm not condoning that. But that doesn't make it right. Two wrongs don't make it right. Okay. And so, and so, I don't care. But, 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 but listen, did God really say that that was wrong? Where do you think that thought ever comes from? It's the same tactic he used to get us into the mess we're in. Did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the servant, hey... We may eat uh, uh, fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Now listen, he moves to stage two. Once he baits you with, uh, you doubt. You question. It's like, no, I know my Bible says it's wrong. I don't care if 93% of the church says it's okay. I don't care if 99% of the church is sliding. Uh, I know what God says. But then what happens? He calls God a liar. You're not surely die. It's, it's fine. Don't you know it's okay? Come on. Everybody's doing it. What's the, What are you, some stick in the mud? What are you, some religious wacko? And here comes the religious peer pressure, right? He says this. And he says, no. He says, yeah, you're you not surely die. Now listen, here's that. For God knows. See, he's holding out something from you. Again, name one command that's bad for us. Is God holding anything out from us? No, it's all right here. It's plain, black and white. He says, "For you, God knows when you're going to eat of it. Okay, listen. He says, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Can I tell you, in essence, what I felt led to share was when we play fast and loose with the scripture, when even though it's plain in the scripture, no, that's what my denomination teaches, with all due respect. When we come across a pattern, no, 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 that's not, it doesn't feel right to me. No, that's not what the culture says. Some not what the friends say. You know what you just said? It's the same line. You have decided in your heart what is good and what is evil. In essence, you are playing God with God's word saying, no, you know better. And it's the same goofball temptation that started the whole mess. Are you starting to see, even in three paragraphs tonight, how <laughs> this analogy is very applicable isn't it? CSI. You better get in here. This isn't just oops, made a mistake on the taxes. Okay, and that's a big deal. You know, the IRS will get you. Okay, but guess what? Listen, this is forever. This is eternity on the line. Okay? It's your walk with Jesus Christ. And I hope we never get to the point where we are preaching, we'll get to this Lord willing week after next, a false gospel in the church. That isn't happening, is it? Where we would cave in just for the sake of numbers, just to get people to show up, to jack up our attendance. And we want them desperately to stay so we will refuse to talk about sin or hell or the cross or God's wrath or anything of that. Just so they'll feel comfortable and stay here. That's happening in the church Say, Yeah, Bonnie, we'll close. Um, oh, gosh. Okay, hang with me on this. I, I'll give you the historical perspective. Okay, it actually started from Europe. Okay, at the turn of the last century in the 1900s, Okay, what happened was uh, it became the in vogue thing in ministry that after you finish your graduate studies, you went overseas to Europe, okay, to do your doctorate, okay. This is how the filth got over here to the United States. Liberalism is what you're talking about, okay, which is not Christianity. It's just basically Christianity on the outside, but there's nothing on the inside. Okay, just got stained glass windows. You got a pulpit. You got somebody wearing a robe. Okay, and they might even have a degree. Doesn't mean they're born again. Okay, and they deny the deity of Jesus Christ. They deny salvation through Jesus Christ alone. They deny his humanity, his deity, the trinity, and just on and on. It's just, it's just Christianity name only is all it is. Okay, what happened was, guess what? It started out okay But pastor after pastor after pastor after pastor after pastor, okay, came back from Europe. Now, what was going on with Europe? Europe, where the Reformation started, if you can believe this, was gone dark, okay? And so they were into liberalism, okay, and rationalism. And guess what didn't help the thing? The lie of evolution, okay, was much more rampant over there. Well, what happened is they brought the infection back with them. And then these pastors who went over there with their doctorates over in Canada and the United States, they came back and they began to teach at the seminaries, who taught even more pastors, or went back into churches and pulpits because everybody wants to have a doctoral, whatever pastor, right? Oh, look at his title! Surely he's good. Well, first of all, stop calling me Shirley, and uh, but second of all, what he would come back was this mindset of liberalism, and it was just the in vogue thing. Now, listen, this is what's really cool. Shortly after that, it began to really, uh, in America, the next couple decades, begin began to really take off. In America, we would have been it down in the dark ages by now. If it weren't for some faithful men in the church, the American church that God raised up, okay? And they were called uh, the fundamentals, which has now become a negative term today. Did you know that? Okay, now these were the men that God raised up and says, no, I'm sorry, I don't care what doctor, I don't care if you graduate from Oxford, who cares, Oxford Schmoxford. that's not what the Bible says, and God raised up faithful men, and they began to produce massive amounts of literature to contradict and counteract this liberalism, and that actually, because God raised up those men, it actually staved it off for many more decades, until about the 60s. And then relativism began to take in and things began to slide. You had uh, the Eastern mysticism begin to come over into America. The Beatles really helped make that popular, unfortunately, amongst other entities. The drug culture, all this, and loose living and everything. Okay, all this going on. Okay, and now we end up with what we got. But what you see is for a while uh, that happened. Now listen, it's gotten even worse in the seminaries, okay? Got actual testimonies, and I've shared this before, is that... uh, 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 share a testimony of a, a pastor who was sp- uh, speaking at a conference four pastors. Okay. And uh, there was another guy there who was teaching the conference, pastor. And as he intermingled with him uh, throughout that conference weekend, he began to realize based on his verbiage and when he was sharing, this guy's not even saved and this is the guy teaching the pastor's conference. So he says, the good news, it en- this one ended well. I'll tell you another one that's f- f- freaky. He says, uh, he actually led that pastor teaching the pastor's conference to Christ that weekend. Now, if that guy didn't show up and if he didn't challenge him and if he didn't love him enough to tell the truth, what would happen? You have a non-person who's got a title teaching what? Teaching this filth. Teaching this liberal mindset. Well, don't you? I know it's what the Bible says that God created everything in six literal days, but don't you know we're much more smarter than God now? And once you start sliding down that crack, it opens up all kinds of stuff. I know the Bible says that all this behavior is wrong, but don't you know that, you know, we have genetics and biological information? No, I don't think so. And I showed the other one before you, and this one probably is the most dramatic one that I've heard, actual testimony, I'm not making this up. And this was in another seminary, and it was uh, the graduating week, and uh, the uh, pastor, a guy who went on to pastor, said that uh, at the very end, his instructor, whom he looked up to, had a whole class full of students, like here tonight, and he just, at the very end, the very last class, right before graduation, he posed the question, he says, and now, how many of you guys even believe this baloney? And at first he thought, he was sitting on the desk, he, he actually thought, he says, I just thought he was just, you know, kid being funny, you know, whatever. And then it dawned on him, he was deadly serious, and it's, he was like, oh. And then he says, that was bad enough. He says, then he said, I saw almost every single hand of my fellow classmates in that seminary go up. He said, I, it was just, it was like I was walking in this fog in this daze. It was like some whacked out twilight zone scenery thing. He says, I'm walking out of the class. I can't hardly even think. And he says, and two of my fellow classmates went behind me a, or went beside me. And I just overheard them go, yeah, you know, I, I, I know this is just a bunch of money. He says, but you know, I figure it's a pretty good gig pretty good way to make a living in the seminary. Now these are the people who get behind the pulpits. 49% of pastors in America do not have a biblical worldview. So that means one out of two churches you go to, by and large, on average across America, been spoiled here. Right now what's going on in the country, one out of two you're not getting the Bible Now it rolls downhill. Answer your question and we'll close. That has now produced this. 93% of people who are professing Christians do not have a biblical worldview. The Bible does not drive their thinking. It does not drive their thought process. So flip it around. That's only 7% of people professing to be Christians in the church. Even though it's on their doctrinal statement. Live by this book. Now does that answer some questions why things are so messed up? Now, does that maybe even answer some questions of what happened in the last election and the election before and what's going on even politically? Okay? How how could that happen? How could it get to the point where half the pastors in our country don't have a biblical worldview? It's this. The first second that one of those guys went over to Europe and they started spouting off this baloney should have just stood up and walked out or at least challenged them, then walked out. I'm sorry, professor. I don't care how many degrees you got. I don't care that nifty robe and sash you're wearing and that jamming-looking hairdo. Okay, listen, this is what the Bible says. I'm out of here. But you don't. And you suck it up, and you just a little bit. It's like food poisoning. The next thing you know, it's like, uh, uh, and just, it's over. This is how, this is one of my, believe it or not, and maybe that's why it's taking so long, this is one of my favorite topics to teach on. Because if you get this wrong, it messes everything up. And I don't know about you, but I want to know why things are so stinking messed up today. It's right here. So if you and I here at Sunrise do not get a handle on this, how to properly approach the Scripture, we're going to do the same thing. And I hope that never happens to us, amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But before you go, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things with you. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the Bible also says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness is death. In other words, when we die, and it's coming for each one of us, we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, but it's going to happen. The Bible says, therefore, since the wages of our sin is death, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and not to heaven. And that's bad enough, but to make matters worse, we don't want to admit this. God already knows. He knows uh, all of our behavior, everything, our thoughts, what we've done, what even we're going to do. He knows it all. He's gone. Even though he already knows this, we don't want to admit this. And so out of love and mercy, God gave us something called his law or the Ten Commandments. It's kind of like his x-ray into our heart to show us what he already knows, that he is holy and that we are not. And it's this unholiness or sin that separates us from him. Let's take a look at God's x-ray, if you will, his divine law to show us what he already knows. The Ten Commandments, uh, the ninth one says this, you shall not bear false witness, okay? That's called lying, okay? Okay. And if you've ever told a lie once, which we all have, myself included, the Bible says that makes you a liar, okay? The, the, another commandment says, you shall not steal, okay? Uh, and you might think, well, that's something that everybody does. Well, it doesn't make it right, and it demonstrates what God is trying to show us, that uh, we all have sin, and it's separating us from him. Even if you took a pencil in the third grade from somebody, if you did it without permission, That's stealing. And so now you've become a thief. The Bible says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And how interesting it is and unfortunate that the only name under heaven by which men might be saved, the name Jesus Christ, has now become a common cuss word. The Bible says that God is so holy that even his name is holy. If you've taken the Lord's name in vain and used it as a cuss word or even flippantly, the Bible calls that the sin of blasphemy. And so now you become a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus says if you even look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally, the Bible says uh, you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? Well, again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred is the same as the sin of murder. The only difference is you pulled the trigger, if you will, In your heart, you wish they were dead. And in God's eyes, it's the same thing in principle. Folks, that's only just a couple of the Ten Commandments. We didn't even go through all of them. But I think you're starting to get the picture. The Bible is correct. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, myself included. And that we are separated from God as a result. And so when our time comes, we're not automatically going to heaven. We are headed for judgment. We are headed for hell. Now let me tell you the good news. The good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to save us. Jesus Christ died on the cross. It was the death penalty of its day. He paid in full uh, the price for our sins to be forgiven. Let me give you an analogy. For instance, even today, we could see that a person could commit a crime uh, they, they cannot reverse it. The, the sentence has been passed. The judge has uh, slammed his gavel, and they are ushered off into their jail cell. And in this particular crime, they are going to receive the death penalty. And so they're behind bars just waiting for the time, waiting for the call for them to go and uh, receive the death penalty. But believe it or not, as we know, there is a way that a person can get off a death row. And that is if the one in authority, the governor,